with someone this week, they said to me, I've said that for years, but I've never really thought about what it means. Well, this is our chance. There's no way we can cover it all in one sermon. So I'm not going to try. <laughs> We're going to pick a few pieces out to look at together today, though. And I pray that the Lord will use it uh, in your hearts the way that he has in mind. So he will come again to judge the living and the dead, or the quick and the dead. Um, <clears throat> judgment is not something that we like to think about too much, generally speaking. Uh, we don't like to be judged. Sometimes we judge other people. Sometimes we don't like to admit that we've judged other people, but really it is God who judges, right? And Christ returns uh, to judge the living and the dead. And if we're really honest with ourselves, uh, we can get uncomfortable when we think about the idea of Jesus seeing the very depths of our souls rather than just what we present on Sunday morning. Uh, someone once was talking with me about how they were concerned that their Friday night self didn't match their Sunday morning face. You know, they were in a moment of, of real honesty and thinking about that. Um, so if we think about the judgment of Christ and we have that sort of feeling of, oh no, <laughs> um, that's okay to have <laughs> in some respects, you know, but we're going to look at it a little bit more in depth and hopefully bring some greater clarity to this. You know, Jesus is not an unjust judge. The judge to be really concerned about is the unjust one, but Christ is just and he is merciful and in his great love has made a way for our unrighteousness to be made righteous as we stand in him and in his righteousness. So as we remember that Jesus is the ultimate judge of our lives and the world reminds us to, that uh, we have to live as those who will be called to give an account for our behavior, especially the way that we have stewarded gifts and opportunities that God has given to each of us, that's kind of the scary, sobering part of judgment in many respects. Um, but on the other hand, judgment can be good news for the Christian because we know that there is a conclusion to history. Things that are wrong will be made right. Christ is coming. He is coming to set everything right. We are so used to living in this fallen creation that we don't even quite have the vision for what the restored new creation is going to be. When Christ comes to rule and to reign, God is going to bring that peace, that shalom, that salvation, that restoration that we all long for. So in many ways, the judgment is good news. It's also good news because of who the judge is. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9-11, through 11, it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. So think about it this way. The one who comes as judge is the one who was judged in our place. Our cultural idea, uh, sort of, of, of Jesus and in the church, like in the last 50 years, is Jesus our buddy. Jesus, our friend, our brother, that's true. But in some respects, we have lost the sense of majesty. 
we've lost the sense that our God is a consuming fire, the holiness of the Lord, and the idea that Jesus is the King of glory, who sits at the right hand of the Father, as we talked about last week, right now interceding for you, who is coming again to judge the living and the dead. I really enjoy C.S. Lewis, and so I couldn't get this out of my head. In the Chronicles of Narnia, it talks a little bit about Jesus in the character of Aslan, the lion. And um, when confronted by this idea of Aslan, a lion, who is the picture of God, in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy asks, is he safe? Safe, says Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Mr. Tumnus also says, he's wild, you know, not a tame lion. So we have this idea of Jesus coming back. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be wild. Every knee is going to bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So in this section about the creed, this is the last line in the section that speaks directly about Jesus. This part of the creed that we have talked about for a while now talks about what he has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do. This is more about what he's going to do, what's, what's coming. The second coming of Christ is all over the place in Scripture. It's mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament, so it was definitely on the minds of the early Christians. And uh, it is absolutely central to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ in this world. Um, the New Testament actually ends with these words, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So like Mary, in the Gospel lesson today, we could sit at the feet of Jesus and have this truth sink in. But we are caught up in the affairs of the world, uh, even in the good things. Someone once said to me, uh, talking about discernment and listening to uh, what the Holy Spirit would have us to do, good is not always best. And just because it's good, it might be something that's taking the place of God's best in your life. Sometimes we fail to see those best things. You know, the good things that we enjoy here and now pace of our lives, they can kind of squeeze out the things that are better. You know, my wife and I were sitting down and talking about the rest of the summer. You know, as, as public educators, we get some time in the summertime where we don't have to go to the school every day and that sort of thing. But every weekend is scheduled, except for one, between now and the start of school. And it's amazing how it's like it happened without us even trying. Does that happen to you? Ever? Yeah, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> And so, as we prepare for Christ's coming, how do you guard the ability to keep Christ first in your life? So that knock at the door that the kids heard of Jesus ten minutes early, <laughs> when we weren't quite expecting him, does not catch you off guard and unprepared. Do we live like Jesus, in fact, is coming again? And not just coming back, 
but as king and as judge. We really let that sink in. That's something to ponder in a quiet moment. Our thoughts, words, and deeds will need to be accounted for. Will we be found worthy in judgment? Certainly not of our own accord or doing. We know that we are only found worthy clothed in the blood of Christ. That is the only worthiness that we have. Revelation chapter 22, beginning at verse 12, Jesus is speaking. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. There's three facts here that we need to pay attention to in the New Testament, um, at the very least here, about Christ's coming. One is that he is coming again. Okay. Two is that when he comes, he will not come as he did the first time, lowly and in a state of humiliation. Right? He comes, we, we think about... Gentle Jesus, meek and mild in the manger, the incarnation. Wonderful stuff. First coming stuff. Second coming, king of glory. Right? It's going to be very different. And when he comes in that state of exaltation, he is coming to judge. He will judge according to our lives, according to the way we live. And he will render according to each man and woman. These things are expressed over and over and over again in the New Testament. Um, Acts chapter 10, verse 42, Peter says this. He ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. You see here, in the language of the creed that we say every single Sunday, understanding it to one degree or another... That Christ is the judge of the living and the dead. He's been appointed as the judge. And so we see this focus on the person of Jesus Christ as the one who renders that judgment of the living and the dead. Uh, further, in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens. And he says, He has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. What's the sign of the judge, right? God will judge the world through a man he has appointed, and the way you will know that man he is appointed to do that is that he has raised him from the dead. His name is Jesus Christ, and he's going to judge the world at the appointment of God. It's coming. It's coming. Romans chapter 2, verse 16, Paul continues, On the day when God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says that even the secrets of our hearts will be discovered, uncovered, unveiled, and judged by Jesus. That should be sobering. I remember at a youth rally one time, the speaker was talking about, what do you think about? And if what if everything you thought about was displayed on a screen on your chest? <laughs> <laughs> right? That would be rough. You know, you're sitting in that church committee meeting and that person that really irritates you, that by the grace of God you try to love, what's displayed on your chest? Or when your spouse squeezes the toothpaste tube in the wrong way for the last time. 
<laughs> what are you really thinking? Or that family member that you just can't seem to get along with, but you're going to be called to account how you were able to love them or not. These are all things that we're going to be dealing with. Um, a lot of times people mix up the judgment and doing right things with salvation. It is not our obedience that saves us. Our only hope can be in Jesus Christ. But if we will cling to Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we will love him and that love will change us and will produce fruit in the way that we relate to others and in the way that we engage the body of Christ. You all remember the account in scripture as you did it to one of the least of these. You did it to me. So being obedient and expectant for Christ is not living in sort of this panic. He's coming right now. I can't change the oil in my car. It is faithfully and steadily trying to live every bit of our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore being ready. I believe that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Believe is, is such a weird word in our language. It sort of is something that you can sit down in a pew and believe something. It's not really the case, though. Belief is not passive. It requires a choice. It requires action. If we say we believe something... It is requiring us to do something because we believe something. Otherwise, that belief is just words. It's just shallow. Um, you know, in the gospel lesson today, as we've talked about, Mary made a choice that is in alignment with living expectantly for Christ. Yes, there was other stuff to do. Yes, people were upset with her that she chose to not do the dishes or whatever the case may be. But she chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. We are confronted with that choice almost daily in our lives of living expectantly for Christ or surrendering to the tyranny of the urgent. She chose to put down the business of life because she knew what was really important. She had a much more eternal perspective and was sowing into that eternal harvest of righteousness in her own soul. So let us not be like the foolish virgins caught unprepared at his return. Each day that passes is one day closer to his coming back. It's going to happen. What are those things that separate us in thought and action from the Lord? What are those things with which we are associated that if people found out might bring dishonor to the name of Jesus Christ? The priorities that are out of alignment. The things that we still think we have time to say, the person that we think we still have time to forgive, the relationship we've been putting off mending, the sin that we are continuing to secretly love, of which we would absolutely be mortified if Christ were to return in judgment today. When we say... I believe he will come again to judge the living and the dead. We are not stating a lifeless fact. We are calling ourselves to check ourselves. We are calling ourselves and one another in this community to repentance, 
We are saying that we live by a different and holy code. We are saying that we are living on the edge of our seats for the return of Jesus. We don't have time for sin and folly because we know that Christ is coming in all his terrible and wonderful power and glory. When Jesus returns, will our trust and allegiance to him be found genuine? If he came back today, would there be enough evidence to convict you in a court of law of being a Christian? Jesus is calling us, is calling you today to lay it down. Live today as if Jesus were at the very door about to step in. Because in the grand scheme of eternity, he is. He is right here. If you need to lay something down, do it today. If you need to forgive someone or ask forgiveness, don't wait. You know how many people I talk to when I'm counseling with a family to do a funeral? They are living with the regret that they didn't say something to the person who has passed away, and now they can't. Don't wait. If you need to put to death long-standing sin in your life, leave it here at the altar today. Commit yourself to repentance and seek revival in your innermost being. We often ask this question, I'm going to end with it today. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you, and what are you going to do about it?